leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Concerns about the threat posed by the growth of drug-resistant pathogens has often focused on the need to reinvigorate our arsenal of antibiotics, but health authorities are paying new attention to the rise of invasive fungal infections. Globally, about 1.5 million people each year die from these infections. There's been a lack of investment in innovation in new types of antifungals, and the worry is growing about the emergence of fungal strains that are resistant to existing treatments. We spoke to Kira Kennedy, president and CEO of Amplex, about the need for new antifungals, why this problem is emerging, and her company's first-in-class experimental therapy to fight fungal infections. Kira, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about Candida auris, the growing health threat of drug-resistant fungi, and the efforts your company, Amplex, has to develop an experimental therapy to combat it. Let's start with the broader need, though. There have been a lot of talk lately about the problem of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. We, we hear less about resistant fungal infections. How big a problem does this represent? That, that's a very good point, and I think we hear less about fungal infections generally, much less resistant fungal infections. And I think it's really important to start with who's the patient here? Um, I would say if you stopped 10 people on the street and asked them what they knew about fungal infections, 9 out of 10 would talk about toenail fungus. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions and disservices general education and awareness about these infections can do for patients and innovation in the space. The types of infections that we at Amplex are looking to treat with our innovative drug are life-threatening, extremely high mortality infections. So on the good end of the spectrum, you have about a 30% mortality, so three out of every 10 people who get that infection will die, all the way up to nine out of 10 people will die. And the, I think the biggest, the biggest reason why the awareness of these infections is low is these types of infections don't impact everyday people walking around. It's not something you can catch. In fact, fungal spores are something we breathe in and out of our lungs on a daily basis. They're actually something you can't avoid. 
but it's not until you are immune suppressed or immune compromised or you have some other underlying medical issue that really puts you at risk for these invasive, life-threatening fungal infections. Um, you know, a classic case of these types of infections are a patient that develops um, a lymphoma or leukemia, has chemotherapy, which compromises their immune system. Maybe they have a bone marrow transplant, which further compromises their immune system. And they have no natural defenses against fungal pathogens in that state, at that stage of their therapy. So they could be on their way to curing their cancer, and they can die from a fungal infection. So pediatric ALL, or acute lymphoblastic leukemia, today with current therapies is 90 to 95% curable. So that's fantastic. Great evolutions and great strides in cancer care. Many of those patients will develop fungal infections, and the mortality rate or the survival rate drops to only 30% of those patients will survive that infection. So you're looking at a real disparity between the improvements that we're seeing in treatment of cancer and better survival from cancers to really dismal survival if those patients get a fungal infection. So those are the types of treatments, uh, those are the types of infections that we are looking to treat with our, with our, um, with our product. And then when you layer on top of that sort of clinical scenario, drug resistance, that's when it becomes really scary. And there are three types of drugs, three different what are called classes, the different ways of acting on a pathogen um, approved for fungal therapy. The amphotericin, which was approved in the 60s. The azoles came along in the 80s. And the echinocandins were approved in the very early 2000s. So about every 20 years or so, we get a new class of antifungal therapy. And what we're seeing here is evidenced by the candida auris situation and the stories that have been hitting the press recently is the bugs, they're smart and they're developing resistance. They're developing mechanisms to evade the effects of these drugs. Well, let me ask you, there, there are well-documented issues driving the spread of resistant bacteria. This, in mm -hmm. part, has to do with the, the misuse and overuse of antibiotics. What's driving the rise of drug-resistant fungi? So there are really two, two things, two factors that are driving the rise of, of resistance in fungal pathogens. And it's quite different to how resistance emerges in the antibacterial or bacterial world. So a lot of the resistance in fungal pathogens is actually linked to the use of antifungals in the agricultural industry. So protecting produce, protecting flowers and tulip bulbs from rot and mold um, the, those are the same types of drugs that are being used to treat patients in hospitals. And it's a lot of that type of utility. That's one source of fungal resistance is the use of those drugs in that, in, in that part of our world. 
Um, and the other piece is more similar to the story in the antibacterial world. If you have a patient who has an active infection and you keep them on a certain type of therapy for a very long period of time, you're increasing the chances that, that the pathogens infecting those patients will become resistant to the drug. And we see that. We particularly see that with the echinocandins. So it's a little bit of a mix, but it's quite different to the emergence of resistance in the antibacterial world. You mentioned and there are three classes of drugs that have been used to treat these infections. Are, are these broad-spectrum agents? Do they act in a very targeted way? Typically, fungal drugs tend to be broader spectrum, and that's rooted in a couple of things, and it's really important because of how patients are treated and how we diagnose fungal infections. Um, in many ways, the treatment is what's called empiric, so physicians are starting to treat before they really truly know what the patient is infected with. And, and that's really influenced by a couple of things. It can take a long time to get a definitive diagnosis of which pathogen you have, um, there are cases, and we hear from physicians all the time, that they didn't know what the, what the source of the infection was or what the pathogen was until they got the autopsy results, which is certainly not a good outcome for that patient. And there's a little bit of a divergence here in terms of the type of fungal pathogen. We think about fungal pathogens in two major groups. You have yeast infections, which is Candida auris, so all the invasive Candida species. Cryptococcus, which, which um, can result in cryptococcal meningitis, those are in the yeast category. And then there's, there are molds, so those furry molds that grow on the loaf of bread that you left out when you, before you went on vacation, those can grow in lungs and brains of patients who have no immune system to fight them off. So those are the aspergillus or aspergillosis types of infections. Um, there are also some other very scary rare molds where the mortality can be as high as 80 to 90 percent. Um, Fusarium, Scetosporium, Eucromycoses, these are very serious infections. So we think about, um, we think about these bugs in these two different buckets. There hasn't been a new class of antifungals approved since 2001. Why aren't we seeing investment and innovation in this area? You know, there, there, I think that's really driven by two things. Um, one, there's been a general deprioritization in, um, in pharma of antimicrobial research. I think we see that in the antibacterial space, and we see it in the antifungal space. And we also have some significant biology to contend with when we think about fungal pathogens. Genetically, fungi are not that dissimilar to humans. So when you think about a drug or a target that's going to result in toxicity to a fungal pathogen, oftentimes that'll be toxic to the human host as well. And we see that with the older drugs. So amphotericin is known to be very toxic to the kidneys. The azoles are known to be toxic to the liver. So there's, there's a biological challenge. Um, and what we have done is, is we are working on a target that essentially is not present in the human body. So it's a fungal-specific 
target. It's a protein in the fungus, and there is no protein of that kind. Um, or actually, well, there, there's a related human protein, but it's not very similar. Um, so that is one of the ways in which we look to provide an efficacious but safe option for patients. So the reality is fungal, finding new targets for fungus is really, really hard. Um, And it's complex because of that genetic overlap between humans and fungi. You mentioned Candida auris earlier. It's gotten some attention recently. CDC calls this an emerging fungus that presents a, a serious global health threat. What is it, and why is there so much concern about it? Yeah, there, there, there is a lot of concern, and CDC has been talking about Candida auris since the summer of 2016, and the, the numbers of cases in the U.S. and across the world have been growing and growing. And the reasons why we should all be concerned about Candida auris are the fact that it is multidrug resistant. So it, I mentioned there are three types, three classes of antifungal agents. Candida auris, no matter where you, which country you isolate Candida auris from, it's resistant to one, two, or all three of those classes. So if you are a patient that becomes infected with triple-resistant Candida auris, there are no options for you today. So you're looking at you know, extremely high mortality um, in those cases. And that, that, that's, that's the first reason we worry about that. The second is the spread of candidores that we're seeing. We're seeing transmission from one patient to another in the hospital setting. And that's pretty unusual for a fungal infection. A lot of the times, a fungal infection can be introduced through a catheter or a central line, or it's something that you've inhaled into your own lungs in the form, you know, in terms of when we think about aspergillosis, but you don't really often see outbreaks of fungal infections the way we are seeing with Candida auris. Um, you know, in, in, in some of the, the articles that have been published, they talk about how difficult it is to sterilize a room that an infected patient has been in. So you have to you know, bleach the room from top to bottom or sterilize it with blue light or, you know, in some cases rip out the walls and the ceiling, and that's not sustainable on a massive scale. So I think that that's the reason why we have seen so many cases of this infection spread. Um, and you, you know, an infection that spreads that you can treat, that's, that's one thing. An infection that's spreading with a resistance profile of Candida auris with limited treatment options, that's what's really driving the heart of the concern. Your lead candidate is an experimental small molecule, APX001, to treat fungal infections, including Candida auris. What is APX001, and, and how does it work? Yes, it is, a, it is a new agent. It represents a whole new approach in terms of a new target for addressing fungal infections. And the, the target is an enzyme called GWT1, which is highly conserved across fungal fungal pathogens. So we cover Candida and Cryptococcus and Aspergillus and the rare molds. So regardless of what infection you might have of fungal origin, this is a really good option um, for for, for patients for physicians. 
specific to um, what the drug does is it actually does two things. The role of this enzyme is the biosynthesis of really important parts of the fungal cell wall called nanoproteins. So inside the endoplasmic reticulum, which is sort of the manufacturing center of a cell, um, these nanoproteins are, are formed, but they need to be processed to go out to the fungal cell wall and do the job of the armor of the cell to protect it and allow it to become really pathogenic. So when we shut down GWT1 with our treatments, what happens is those proteins get trapped inside the cell. So you have a defective cell wall, but you also have stress inside the cell that's leading that cell to die. So we have a dual effect with a single target because of the biology of what's happening here. And one of the things that CDC has done in an effort to identify new ways to deal with Candida auris is they've put together a panel of 100 Candida auris isolates from all across the world. So all different countries, different regions, different types of resistance profiles, and they are happy to test anybody's agent against this panel. So they've tested everything that's on the market, everything that's in development for fungal pathogens, including our drugs. And APX001 is by far the most active agent. It kills all the strains um, at, at very high potency. Um, so it really is an exciting opportunity to prevent patients from dying from this infection. Okay. What do we know about the safety or efficacy of the drug from uh, clinical studies done to date? So we're still in relatively early stages of clinical development. Um, as you know, you start with phase one, healthy volunteers that are really focused on determining and categorizing the safety of the drug. So we have done um, a lot of work in phase one to categorize that. And one of the one of the advantages of our drug as well is it can be given intravenously or orally. So a lot of the existing classes are IV only. So it, it, it limits flexibility for how you manage that patient. You've got to keep them in hospital and give them daily IV infusions of, your, of the drugs. But we can give it IV or orally. So we've done all the phase one work to establish the safety of this drug. And it is remarkably well tolerated in, in men. So we do see some mild nausea and headaches, um, but we feel when you're faced with a life-threatening fungal infection that that's, a, that's an, you know, an acceptable trade-off. So we have recently started studies in patients with active infection, and this is really to get to your, your question about efficacy. So we, we are in the process of gathering the data to determine the efficacy of this drug. Um, and we're enrolling patients in a number of different countries with candida infections. So it could include some candida auris um, or candida glabrata, which is, tends to have a slightly more resistant profile than perhaps a candida albicans. But the, one of the really nice aspects of developing drugs in this space is the animal models that we use to assess efficacy against different pathogens are highly translatable to human clinical outcomes. 
So you're essentially treating the exact same disease in an animal that your patient is struggling with. Um, so in the space of infectious disease, if you have a drug that's active on a Petri dish and then you show activity in an animal model and you determine, you know, what's the dose you need to see that activity, in phase one, by showing you can, you know, get to that dose and understand the safety at that dose, well, then you really have um, done a lot to de-risk the program and go into patients with confidence that you have a dose and an exposure that's going to be effective at killing that pathogen. So that's right where we are right now. So we have a study in, um, in Canada, as I mentioned. We're also in the process of starting a study for Candida auris specifically in some regions where, where there is a lot of incidence of Candida auris. And we're also in the process of starting up studies for those really serious high mortality mold infections that typically impact cancer patients during their therapy. So it's a very exciting time for the company, and there's a lot, a lot going on. We'll know a lot more about this drug. I feel like we know a lot more every day, um, but with every patient we treat, with, with every study we open, we'll know more and more about that efficacy and safety question. But we know a lot about what happens in animal models, and it all looks very good, very consistent with um, with the spectrum of activity of this drug. And given the medical need today, is there any opportunity for any kind of accelerated pathway forward? You know, FDA has been working very closely with the legislature for the last, you know, 15 years or so to come up with programs to incentivize antimicrobial drug development. It really came to the fore in 2011 with the passage of the GAIN Act, and that's really when we saw a resurgence in both antibacterial and antifungal drug development, um, you know, programs to accelerate through um, the development process, extended exclusivity for these types of, of products. And there, so FDA has a list of infections that they care about. And if you have a drug that is activity, has activity against one of these pathogens, well, then you can have um, what's called qualified infectious disease product designation, which allows you to work really closely with the FDA. And there are four fungal pathogens on that list, and we have all four under designations for, for QIDP for this drug, again, because of the broad spectrum of activity. And then the other piece of from a regulatory perspective, the 21st Century Cures Act that was passed in 2016 has within it a limited population antimicrobial drug development pathway where you can speed through development to a degree for these really high need situations. So, you know, we're working very closely with the FDA on that. And what's the competitive landscape today? Where do you see Amplex and APX001 fitting in? You know, I, I'm biased. I'm going to fully admit that. But, you know, there are, there are very few truly novel approaches um, in the clinic today. And I see APX001 as the only new drug that's addressing a totally new target. It has IV and oral formulations and the broad spectrum of activity. 
um, that really has the potential to move the needle significantly for, for patients and provide better outcomes for patients. Kira Kennedy, CEO of Amplex. Kira, thanks so much for your time today. You're so welcome, Daniel. Thank you for talking to me, and um, I enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.